0: Survival in Motion Podcast. Learn. Adapt. Prepare. Survive. Hello, everyone. This is author Cal Wilson. Welcome to another episode of the Survival in Motion Podcast. The subject of today's motion has been something that's been kind of kicking around my brain for several years, about how things have gotten so bad in California that Californians are leaving and bringing their voting habits with them. But before I get to that, I've got a few, I used to call them housekeeping, but they're really just minor issues that I think I should touch on before I get to the main subject. The first one is this hard drive of Joe Biden's and how it's definitely gonna affect the election. I've heard enough about how it was gotten and who got it and all the details that this accusation that it's just Russian misinformation, that's just frivolous name calling. I mean, when you hear the people who had to do with getting it, you kind of figure, yeah, what's there to talk about? And then, of course, the other side says, oh, this is Russian disinformation. And Wolf Blitzer says, oh, wow, wow that's terrible. Oh, those Russians, you know, there's no follow ups. There's nothing like, oh, really? How did they do that? You know, Nothing. And of course, the director of national intelligence says, no, there's no evidence that this is Russian misinformation, nothing like that. And, and also we find out that the FBI had a copy of one of these hard drives for over a year and was just sitting on it. And that kind of rings true also. I mean, there are a number of things that just convince me that yeah, this is real. You know, not only that, but Biden and Hunter have both kind of gone underground. I mean, just imagine if a hard drive came out and people were saying, this is you and these are your emails. And if that was fake, I mean, if that came out to me, if that came out and it showed me a few videos and photos of me allegedly smoking crack and having sex with underage kids and writing emails that incriminate my dad and all this. And if it was fake, I'd be singing it from the mountaintops. I'd be yelling This is fake, and I am pissed, you know? We're not seeing any of that. We're not seeing any of that. We're just seeing the Democrats saying, oh, this is Russian disinformation. It doesn't sound true. I mean, we're allowed to use our common sense here in deciding whether this is real or not. So I've heard enough, it's real. And what I wanted to say is, you know, it's one thing for a sitting vice president to be given certain jobs and for those jobs not to work out, but yet the family members get richer and richer, you know, while all this is going on. That's one thing. And people see that and they just get suspicious. (laughs) Something's going on. But with this hard drive and the texts and the emails, I mean, forget about Hunter Biden smoking crack and having sex with underage kids. That's his problem, and he's probably going to face his own criminal charges, I'm sure. But here's the thing. When we have a sitting vice president who has been assigned various jobs and various foreign assignments, and he goes to some foreign country and comes back empty-handed, and then when we find out from emails later that, oh, his son or his brother or his in-laws or whoever got a whole bunch of money all of a sudden from that country and we find out that part of that money that the family member got winds up in joe biden's bank account you know and that's another thing with all this bank account records are easily subpoenaed easily i mean there's not many pieces of the puzzle that are left empty after this and like i said financial records with banks. You know, banks get audited all the time. So it's not like the olden days when records just get lost or something. I mean, bank records still exist, and they're easily gotten by subpoena. So there are not many pieces to the puzzle that are now missing. Anyway, what I'm leading up to is this. I mean, win or lose, I don't see how criminal charges will not be filed against Joe Biden someday. Is he going to jail? I don't know. But I don't see how he can escape criminal charges someday. Now, that's another reason to vote against him for president, because if he's elected president, you know, just like Spiro Agnew, some criminal activity involving kickbacks followed him from one job to the next. You know, Spiro Agnew had some kickbacks on on construction projects that he was involved in when he was governor of Maryland, and then he became Nixon's first vice president president then it all came to light. This is worse than that. This is not just construction projects. This is United States foreign policy getting modified or changed or hamstrung or something, and then a family member getting wealthy, and then we find out from these emails that that family member gave some of that money to the vice president. I don't know. I'm just looking over, just from what I've heard, wire fraud, filing false tax returns, securities laws have been violated. You know, when Hunter Biden owns 10 percent of a company for the big man, meaning his dad, and I'm sure he never declared that with anybody, you know, that's another problem. And of course, the main thing is bribery. When a sitting vice president is assigned a job where he comes back empty handed, but family members wind up getting a Way overpaying job or, or some kind of contribution that we now know winds up in the hands of the vice president. That's bribery. and you know it's kind of like a boxer. everybody's looking forward to this boxing match, and the boxer secretly places a bet against himself and then goes into the ring and loses the fight. and the next thing you know, a whole bunch of money winds up in the bank account of that boxer. That's kind of what happened here. Joe Biden was assigned different tasks to do and gets into a negotiation situation where he comes back empty handed. But coincidentally, a family member gets a check for a billion dollars or something. And it wasn't just Ukraine and China. It was also Joe Biden's brother got a huge contract for housing in Iraq. There's something to do with Romania, something else going on with Kazakhstan. Joe Biden has never impressed me as a smart guy. I've always just kind of thought of him as a dumb guy. And it's kind of conspiracy 101 that (laughs) the other people in on the conspiracy have to keep their mouths shut, not write anything down, not even talk on the phone because the phones can be tapped. And be careful where you actually talk in person because rooms can be bugged. It kind of reminds me of that funny scene in the movie Casino, when they're walking around out in the public talking to each other, but they have their hands and I'm going to try to find a link to that, and I'll post that in the show notes. But what I'm leading up to is criminal charges will be filed at some point against Joe Biden, whether he's president or whether he has lost the election. It's going to happen. I don't see how it won't. And if he's president, then we'll have so many questions and problems that will come up. What's the statute of limitations for all this stuff? I don't know. Can a sitting president pardon himself? I don't think there's any prohibition against that. I don't think there's a rule against that. That's something we'll find out if Joe Biden is elected and this stuff follows him. So he's just kind of dumb. And occasionally he blurts out some kind of admission that that he thinks is bragging like uh, a couple years ago in front of the Council on Foreign Relations, where he strong-armed the Ukraine government into firing a prosecutor snooping around on his uh, son's business, which was a stupid comment. I mean, all this is so clumsy and stupid. And that's another point I wanted to make. If you're a smarter guy than Joe Biden, which is just about everybody, (laughs) I mean, as far as just basic IQ— like Obama, for example. As much as I disagreed with just about everything Obama said or did, I did at least acknowledge he's a smart guy. Not the smartest ever, but relatively smart. And he had to know. He had to figure out. And there had to have been other people working in or around with Joe Biden who also figured it out, that he's getting rich on going into these various assignments he's had And coming back empty-handed, but some family member makes a whole lot of money. So this could be a scandal that spreads. I mean, bank records are easily found out, and things will be leaked, and we've got other people involved who are in jail for unrelated reasons, and they're eager to cooperate because that will reduce their jail sentence. So a lot of this is going to be found out, and I think it will be spreading, too, that you know, after one assignment— I can see if Joe Biden came back empty-handed, but a family member wound up being paid millions of dollars. That'd be one thing. But he kept getting again and again and again, another assignment, another assignment, another assignment. And it all happened the same way. So the people around Joe Biden had to know, they had to have realized what's going on. And maybe they thought, well, this is okay. Maybe I can get some kickback from this too. So it's a scandal— that is bound to follow him, whether he wins or loses. And I just think it's almost irrelevant what Hunter Biden is facing. He's facing a whole slew of criminal charges. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not that important. I think the thing is, when somebody's about to be elected president, maybe if these criminal charges follow him, it's going to be very ugly. Another thing I wanted to talk about, which is kind of a minor issue, is this really annoying video that was sent out by Michelle Obama. Of course, she endorsed Joe Biden for president. And there's so many things that she said in this video that were incorrect that she had to have known were incorrect. And I think I've said this before, that the lying that seems to be approved by fellow Democrats is what made me make the change oh so long ago. When a Democrat gets up and says, you know, a whole litany of things that they have to know are not true, and other Democrats say, wow, that's pretty good. Maybe we'll get some votes from that. I mean, the Republican Party is not perfect, but I'd like to think that the Republican Party, if somebody stood up and said a whole bunch of factually incorrect things that they had to have known were inaccurate, I think other Republicans would call them on it and say, well, I know you meant well or whatever, but what you just said was not true. Anyway, that's one of many things that really annoyed me about that video she made. She also said the vast majority of BLM protests were peaceful and it's even racist to suggest otherwise. Well, you know, I'm sorry but uh you can call my eyes and ears racist if you want, but all I've noticed since the very beginning of this, this was late May, is violent protests all the time. In fact, The word peaceful is getting redefined, just like the word racist is getting redefined. It's crazy to say that the vast majority are peaceful. All you see are unpeaceful protests on the part of Black Lives Matter and Antifa. In fact, it's one big blur right now. She also said this was a racist country, and it's still a racist country, and I strongly disagree with that. She was promoting the whole... Blacks are hopeless victims and it's not even worth trying. She didn't say those words, but I hate that attitude that this is such a racist country that blacks have no chance of making it here. And I really resent anybody promoting that philosophy because it actually does work. The people that listen to it, if they're African-American, sometimes it sinks in and they just think, well, what's the use you know, of even trying to do anything? This really is a racist country and it's not even worth it. So I really resent hearing that. But also, here's the context. Let's remember the context. She was recording this video from her and her husband's mansion in Martha's Vineyard, which is a very expensive almost all-white neighborhood. And her husband was voted twice president of this racist country. I mean, come on. It's a little hard to make these arguments with this context of being in your mansion in an all-white neighborhood, having made so much money hand over fist in your life. I mean, they can pretty much coast from all the pensions they have. And here she is talking about what a racist country it is. It's so dishonest, and it's really annoying beyond that. One last thing I wanted to mention before I get to the main topic is a close family member. Well, I mean, genetically close, but she lives several hundred miles away. Suspects that she might have COVID and she's going through the testing right now. And I hadn't refreshed my research on this in a couple of months, but I quickly did a whole lot of research and refreshed my memory about all the medications, all the drugs all the -the over-the-counter stuff that is helpful for somebody who has COVID. And it's amazing to me in my recent research how nothing's changed with the hydroxychloroquine issue. In other words, there are still those videos out there with a bunch of doctors saying, you know, I've treated people with COVID and I've given them zithromycin, hydroxychloroquine, over-the-counter zinc, and sometimes vitamin D3, and sometimes a couple of other things. And they've all gotten over it. So long as you approach it real quickly, you know, the phase one of having this virus, you've got to jump on this stuff immediately. As soon as you know that you might have COVID, you need to get doctor's prescriptions for these drugs. Just because it's out of the news doesn't mean that one side or the other has won this argument. And again, I just want to stress. This is the most bizarre argument. It's the most bizarre controversy that some people recommend hydroxychloroquine. It's bizarre. And there have been doctors who complain about this, who say, I've never seen this before, where there is a medication, there's a drug that will help, and sometimes it won't. But most doctors think this will help a person get through COVID. And it's like a ton of bricks will fall on the doctor when they even suggest it. It's the first medication that has become a political controversy, and it's crazy. I mean, doctors can agree or disagree, but, I mean, it's gone way beyond that. It's at the point where doctors can lose their jobs, you know, people get doxed, they get humiliated in in the press, and on and on and on, all because somebody might recommend hydroxychloroquine. Here's an example the Henry Ford Medical Clinic in Michigan, back in July, published a report where they did everything. They had blind tests back and forth. They had people given placebos. They had people given hydroxychloroquine. They had different stages in the virus. And they came out and said, it greatly increases a person's chances of surviving COVID by giving them hydroxychloroquine and a couple of other things. Almost immediately, just total controversy, accusations, things were taken down from social media. And finally, a couple of the doctors from this study just threw up their hands and said, all right, forget it. Forget it. I'm tired of this. I'm not going to talk about hydroxychloroquine anymore. But it's still out there. And it's still, so far as I can tell, I mean, I'm not a physician, But it still is helpful if you come down with this disease almost immediately, you need to approach a doctor and say, this is what I want, what do you think? Hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, over-the-counter zinc, maybe some vitamin D3, and people get through this. So that's the advice I gave my sister, and I told her, of course, ask your doctor. But one new bit of information I was able to find, and that is this, the continent of Africa always has had a malaria problem. And what's the drug out there that has helped malaria? Well, it's chloroquine and, for the last five decades, hydroxychloroquine. So, from what I've heard, the continent of Africa, you can get hydroxychloroquine a lot of times just over-the-counter. You don't need a prescription. It's just like, hand it out. It's for malaria. But also, when COVID comes through, it also helps a person survive the coronavirus. So there was an article, and I'll post a link to it, where the whole continent of Africa has a much lower mortality rate for COVID. And of course, everybody's lining up to take credit, you know, national health ministers here and there are saying, well, it's, it's because I decided to do this and we decided this would be our approach or whatever. And and the article was pretty clear that it did not want to mention hydroxychloroquine. But I'm sorry, with all due respect to those health ministers in the continent of Africa, it's got to be hydroxychloroquine, because that drug is there already and has been for a long time for malaria, and now it also has been found to help COVID. So when COVID comes through and people are still taking hydroxychloroquine, they get through the COVID, and that's why the mortality rate is a lot lower in Africa. I also wanted to point out there's that website, Frontline Doctors, I believe it is, and it has a worldwide map of where in the world the worst mortality rates are from COVID. And basically, it's North America, it's Europe, almost all of Europe, and South Africa. Basically, those areas are the highest mortality rates. Then there's also a map, where is it most restricted To get hydroxychloroquine? Well, North America, Canada, Europe, and South Africa. It doesn't take a genius to put two and two together to figure that this is a cheap drug that's been around forever. I took it a couple of years ago when I traveled to the Far East and I was worried about malaria. I had some weird nightmares, but I didn't have any of the side effects. That's all we hear about now. Anyway, it's crazy that there still is this issue where doctors, for some reason, are hesitant to prescribe hydroxychloroquine. I think it's part of this movement. Number one is if Trump promoted it, it's got to be bad. So you don't want to have Trump given credit for people taking this drug and surviving COVID. That's number one. And number two, I think there's this ongoing effort to make everybody scared to death of this coronavirus. I really do. I think that's the effort in North America and Europe, that the powers that be are looking down on us and they're saying, you stay at home, go broke, and stay afraid. And I think that's what's going on. And hydroxychloroquine is part of that. Those are my minor issues that I wanted to talk about before I get to the main issue of the invasion of Californians in states outside of California. The inspiration for this episode started a few months ago when I was watching the Twitter feed of Andy No, that's spelled N-G-O, and he's a great reporter. He deserves several awards for his reporting on the riots and all the mayhem going on in Portland, Oregon. And if you're on Twitter, check out his Twitter feed, Andy, no N-G-O. He was reporting on all that was going on in Portland, the rioting and arson and trying to burn down police departments, which is attempted murder, by the way. But on and on and on. He deserves an award. And occasionally he will post booking photos of the people arrested in these riots. And I did notice a pattern. They're almost all white kids in their teens and 20s and 30s. Absolutely, there are a couple of black people here and there. There's some Hispanics, Asians, but it's almost exclusively white kids. And they look like they're well off. They look like middle income, upper middle income. And I know from other reports that every once in a while, you know, a millionaire's kid will show up and get arrested along with everybody else. And that's kind of um, a tradition with revolutions is uh, rich kids in college start the revolution and get killed off later. But the booking photos I was noticing, not only that these were a bunch of white kids, but that a lot of them were from California. And specifically, a number of them were from Southern California. Not that I know that much about California, but I know a couple of these people arrested for arson It's usually the same. Assault on a police officer, resisting arrest, either arson or possessing an arson device or possessing a gun or whatever. It's always the same several charges. But some of these kids must have done like a road trip from Southern California. And then the others who aren't from California made me start thinking, okay, they might have an Oregon address, but where were they living before that? I mean, are they also from California? So that got me thinking, and I'm reminded of my own observation maybe 15 years ago when then-Texas Governor Rick Perry would make these trips over to Silicon Valley, recruiting Silicon Valley companies and employees, come on out to Austin, we have a great business climate. I remember every time I saw that on the news that I would jump out of my chair practically and just say, Governor Perry, you are playing with fire here recruiting all these californians into texas this is really a big mistake of course he didn't listen to me well let me back up from what i know of the california education system k through 12 it's among the worst in the united states i saw one poll that said it was ranked 48 uh, another one ranked only 40 so it made me not that bad but it's also one of the highest spending per capita uh, education system And it's a rotten education system. You know, of course, there are exceptions. But basically, the kids who graduate from the California education system come out far, far, far left. And it's not only that. They're practically Marxist. That's bad enough. But it's like they teach an intolerance for opposing political views. They come out so liberal, and they have no tolerance. They don't want to think or discuss with anybody else any opposing viewpoint. So those are the kids who graduate and get jobs in these high-tech companies in California. Right around the 70s and 80s, that's when several high-tech companies and software companies sprung up, usually in somebody's garage, and then it grew like wildfire and started hiring people like crazy, and they hired the local workforce, which are California graduates, like Apple and it was started in somebody's garage, and Hewlett-Packard, and on and on and on. And it was about in the 90s, I'd say, when these companies looked around and said, you know, where we live, you have to pay maybe 700,000 bucks for a, a dumpy little two-bedroom, one-bath on like a 15th of an acre. Traffic is rotten. It's very expensive, very low quality of life area. So let's start branching out into the rest of the country. Our employees will be happy and we have operations all around the country anyway. So I think it was in the 90s when a lot of Silicon Valley started moving out, like Seattle, Washington, like Portland, Oregon, Nevada, Arizona, even the state of New Mexico. New Mexico has a big Intel plant there and also applied materials is there. Not to mention there was also Compaq and Dell Computer. A whole bunch of high-tech companies have moved out of California, and including Colorado, too, which is rapidly becoming a blue state, so-called. That's why all these states, the states I just mentioned, that's why they're all becoming pretty liberal, Democrat voting. And as you see the, the voting returns come in on November 3rd, keep that in mind. That's what's going on. A whole bunch of Californians have left California because it's a pit. It's a dump of a place, very high taxes, very low quality of life. They elect district attorneys who won't enforce the law. They allow crazy, angry, homeless people around all over. And, you know, there are dirty needles all over. There's poop and pee out in the sidewalk and the street. I remember a few years ago, I went to downtown San Francisco and I was in the financial district I remember walking around just thinking, what is that smell? Oh, it was urine. I mean, the city of San Francisco is that bad that there are homeless people all over and these high-rise buildings, they look sleek, they look nice and they're fancy, but there's maybe an alcove or a little corner over here by the entrance. Some drug-addicted homeless person spends the night there and then pees in the morning and then leaves. The whole area, the whole downtown area, even the nice part, Smells like urine. And when Californians move out, they bring their voting patterns with them. So keep that in mind. Like I said, with Rick Perry coming over California from Austin, I just thought you're playing with fire, Governor Perry. Big mistake. Why am I bringing this up in a Prepper podcast. I mean, it's always fun and easy to badmouth liberals and feels good and everything, but there's a prepper point here. And that is this that a lot of people don't know this, but Oregon used to be a normal state. Portland used to be a normal city. I mean, it always had this reputation for being a little bit kind of quirky, but it was still a law and order place. And same for Washington state with Seattle, and same. Long, long ago, (laughs) California was similar, but that's no longer the case. And there might still be a lot of normal law and order people in the state of Oregon. Let me just pick Oregon, for example. I wrote a book, Dirt Cheap, Valuable Survival Retreat, where I suggested somebody look for a vacant piece of land about a two-hour drive outside of your city, and you would be amazed at how affordable a 20-acre lot, a 50-acre lot is, or like a 100-acre lot, and make that your survival retreat. And that book is filled with chapters where I pretty much just said, learn to do things at my expense, you know, because I, I learned the hard way on how to do a lot of this stuff. That's what my book was about. But I never considered that somebody in Oregon right now, for example, and maybe in your state, You might start feeling that this survival retreat is not as safe as it used to be. I mean, Eastern Oregon is still relatively safe, but the whole state of Oregon, I mean, starting from Portland, for example, the police are a lot of times told to stand down. And you've got these angry riots in Portland, and they're spreading out from the downtown area. They're going into the residential areas, harassing homeowners at their front doors, They're blocking roads everywhere, and police are told to stand down. So that survival retreat two hours outside of Portland, for example, might not feel as secure as it once did. I didn't consider this a possibility in the book, but it might be something to do to consider a survival retreat even further out than just two hours from your home. I would still refer you to the list of websites that I had there There's some websites that list raw pieces of land wherever they are, and they're very inexpensive. You'd be amazed. But it might be the thing to do, to sell your survival retreat and start gradually moving stuff over to a new one that might be two or three states away. As far as I'm concerned, I keep hearing that Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana are still secure places to go. So if this is a possibility for you, Let's say you buy a 50-acre lot in Idaho. It might be the thing to do to just figure going out there a week in the fall and a week in the spring. Set up a P.O. box and get a local checking account. And keep your mouth shut as far as the fact that you're from out of state working on this. Because then word will get around and you never know. People will come onto your property and start stealing stuff. So keep your mouth shut as far as where you're from. The first priority is a fence along the road so that people can't just drive onto your property. And then you need to have a front gate. I've got chapters in that book on all this. A front gate that you can lock and then a road further into your property. You know, that ends up at maybe a hilltop or at least a flat area that you can see in the distance if anybody's coming to your area there. So you might want to build a house there. If you hire or rent a bulldozer or hire somebody who has a bulldozer and can run it for you, and like I said, pay them with a local check, you know, and keep all this legal, but you know, you can clear some roads further into your property and make sure that you get gravel delivered and that I'd say at least two to three layers of gravel are needed on your average dirt road. Otherwise, when it rains, you might get stuck It might become a swamp or something. And make sure either you rent a backhoe or you hire a backhoe operator to dig drainage ditches on either side of the road or on the uphill side of the road if it's a hillside road. And like I said, make sure you have lots of gravel and drainage is important, like I said. Have drainage ditches on both sides of the road or on the uphill side of the road if it's a hilly road. Now, there are some points in the road where if there's a switch back or if it turns back and forth, the water won't be able to drain. At that point, you need to get a backhoe and dig a straight line across the road, put a culvert in, and then cover it up. Otherwise, that bend of the road will become a swamp, and you don't want that to happen. And then at some point, you might need to get a water well drilled and have some water storage you might also need a porta potty. Guys don't mind going next to a tree, but women don't like it so much. So you might need a porta potty. And I also have a chapter in that book on how to set up a porta potty onto a trailer that you can drain kind of like an RV. So this big collection of sewage doesn't just accumulate there that you can drain it. There's a chapter on that. And at some point you probably need to buy a used RV trailer and plant that there. And have a container there, you know, a shipping container. It's also known as a Conex. Lock it good. These containers are 25 feet or 40 feet, whatever you think is best. But make sure you lock that as well. And also, just to make sure there's no stealing. And if there is, you can catch them. Make sure you put up some game cameras. And that's how you get your start on a further out survival retreat. Because... A lot of the states that are becoming populated by angry liberals are less and less safe than they used to be. All right, I've got another issue that I wanted to just throw out, and I don't have a recommendation necessarily, but I wanted to just throw out the issue. What are you going to do if this gets worse and worse, all this rioting, and it becomes apparent that the United States in general is just not safe? Would it be the thing to do to go into another country, or at least set up some kind of backup, some kind of retreat in a foreign country? I can't say I have a recommendation or advice on that one way or the other, but I will say this. A few years ago, I was on a mission trip in Baja, California, and the agenda was pretty loose from day to day. Anyway, there was one day that we met up with some American expatriates who had bought houses pretty much on the beach. I wouldn't say they were mansions, but they were nice on the beach, Sea of Cortez side. And I met several of these homeowners, and I pretty much asked them, point blank, what's the status of your property title here? I mean, what legally do you own? Is it fee simple, absolute? And I was getting a number of answers kind of like, yeah, that's still in the works. Somebody said they had a 99-year lease, which just doesn't sound right to me. So, I guess that's the only thing I can say as far as if you're tempted to move either part-time or full-time into a different country is make sure that you actually own the property you're moving to. And it's not some kind of a lease or some kind of arrangement with the government. That doesn't sound right to me. Fee simple, absolute, or full ownership of the property, I think, is important. All right. So those are my thoughts on the invasion of the Californians and how this might affect your survival retreat, and how you might consider a survival retreat even further out, several states away. Again, my book is Dirt Cheap Valuable Survival Retreat by Cal Wilson. In closing, I have a homework assignment for you, dear listener. And this is for those of you who live in the United States. I know not all the listeners do, but This is probably the last episode before the November 3rd elections in the United States. There are a number of different issues that motivate people to vote one way or the other. I think that as opposed to years past, law and order is a prominent issue. I think the economy might be the main issue, but law and order. And will there be a president who respects law and order and helps the police and wants to stop people from being victimized by riots and mobs, that's an issue. That's an issue in this election. So my homework assignment for you, if you are an American citizen, is to do this. Watch one or both of the following movies before you vote. And the movies are High Noon and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. These are both classic American Western movies High Noon, starring Gary Cooper. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, starring John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, Lee Marvin, who plays a bad guy there, directed by John Ford, one of the greatest American movie directors of all time, especially the Westerns. These two movies, and maybe other American Westerns from the 50s, deal with a number of issues, including how to handle a bully in your midst, how to handle the local bully. That's... I think a main issue that is discussed in exactly these two movies. So watch these two movies or one or the other before you vote. And hopefully you will come to the conclusion that we need to stand up to bullies. You do not give in to bullies. If you give in to a bully, you only invite further bullying later. And there's been some talk in some cities, I think New York is one, that people are thinking about just leaving town for a couple of weeks because if Trump wins re-election, there might be some rioting. You know, I think between the lines, stuff like that is getting reported on because the media reporting that wants us all to think, oh, well, maybe if we just vote for Biden, then we will placate the bullies. We won't get any rioting after November 3rd. But my attitude is, if there is a bully picking on us and they clearly favor one candidate over the other, which they do, Biden, then as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the main issues right there. Vote against Biden just for that, because you do not ever give in to a bully. Giving in to a bully ever just invites more bullying. And so if we make it clear to the bullies that, hey, you picking on us did not work, then there might be some rioting a day or two after November 3rd, but it will end because the bullies will realize, all these Antifa BLM people, they'll realize it doesn't pay. You know They're not getting what they want by bullying us. So that's my homework assignment. I'll put the trailers to these two great movies in the show notes. Anyway, I hope you found today's episode of the Survival in Motion podcast educational and interesting. I hear the music. That means our time is up. Thank you for joining me. God bless.